Good morning. This is Pat McDonald, your host for Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV. Got a great two hours ahead of uh, us here. First hour, I'm being joined by Ben Kinsley. Uh, quite a rep bio here, Ben, I wrote. Owner of Imperium Advisors, a public policy and communications firm. Co-host of a public access TV show called Vote for Vermont. Ben and I do that together. And uh, And Linda Sullivan and... We have a whole bunch of co-hosts. We do. We do. That's, true. That's a cool thing. And and he's also a board member of Campaign for Vermont. And been thinking the other day when we were talking that the legislature is almost back. And Sneaking thought, up on us. Yes, I thought it would be a good idea to um, to start talking about key issues that because uh, this is the second year of the biennium, which means that any bills that didn't pass last year can just be. Uh, move all along the process without having to be reintroduced. And so anything that's out there that didn't pass can just move along. And there are some interesting things happening in Vermont, and we wanted to make sure that you were aware of it. And I have always been impressed with uh, Ben's ability to not only develop sound policy, he's our policy guru, wonk, right? Um, but he also can give you recommendations for the solution, which a lot of people can't. they very easy to criticize, and then you ask, well, what's your solution? And they sort of go a little dense, a little blank on you. Um, so I asked Ben to come on this morning to talk about uh, um, some of the key issues that are here. One of them, which is um, uh, right, it's hot off the press, actually, is about uh, waterways and um, Campaign for Vermont just put out a statement about waterways and um, what our, our approach is to protecting our waterways, like, say, Lake Champlain. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you want to oh, – first of all, welcome to the show. I should be a little nice and, <laughs> and welcome you. We talk so much, I, I don't think that <laughs> there's not a, too much of a downtime, but, but go ahead and uh, talk about uh, what we were discussing on waterways. Yeah, so I, I work um – I do work in a number of different policy areas, and and one of the ones, honestly, that's uh, probably I'm, I'm most most passionate about is uh, is water quality. Um, I think uh, you know you'll find me out on some body of water uh, any given weekend during right. the summer, uh, paddling, swimming, boating, um, fishing, any of those sorts yeah. of activities. And I think um, and I see the impacts of what we're doing to our waterways uh, personally. Like that's a personal thing to me when you can't. You have to go, you know, a half mile out into Lake Champlain in order to swim because the water quality is so bad. Um, you know, that's personal. That's yeah, a personal right. thing. And so, um, <clears throat> you know, this is uh, the the statement that's coming out from Campaign for Vermont that I helped work on um, is really the reintroduction of uh, a, a focus on water quality, um, trying to bring um, some of our mm-hmm. environmental efforts back closer to home um, and and focus on some of the things that are – some of the issues that are right in our backyard. And, and water quality is one of those things. Um, and there's a number of different policy options uh, and some new technologies that are coming out that can help with the, um, the phosphorus loading and other pollutants that we've put into our waterways. You know, even if we turned off today all of the phosphorus running into our lakes and our rivers – from um, you know municipal plants, from the uh, from fields, uh, farm, farm runoff. Even if we shut all of those off today, um, it would still take decades and decades 
for really? the phosphorus and pollutants that are already in our lakes and streams um, for those to, to dissipate. So um, it's, a, it's a challenge, and we're spending $25 million a year on it as a state. Uh, and um, we think there's probably some ways that we could be more effective with those dollars. That's great. And and we've given them those solutions. We just hope they take advantage of them, right? Yeah, and it's more it's it's more twofold strategy. One is we've tried to like use a carrot and a stick approach with farmers, um, and to some degree with municipalities as well. With when they're dumping raw sewage into our waterways, um, and uh, really, I think for farmers, you know, this is going to be a controversial topic. It's always a controversial topic. Right. Um, I think that uh, one of the one of the most cost-effective methods of um, preventing runoff, particularly agricultural runoff, is by um, planting uh, barriers ah. uh, along waterways. So trees, shrubs, things that stabilize the bank, that um, prevent erosion, and you know, kind of create a buffer zone uh, between right. the agricultural activities and the waterway. That sounds like a good idea. Where's the EPA these deal these days with Vermont? Because they've been threatening to come in and take over Lake Champlain. And if you think it's expensive now, wait till they come in because they'll look to us to fund them. Yeah, and that and so that that's a great question um, and something we've looked at for Campaign for Vermont specifically. That they, they, we've been involved in that issue um, for almost a decade now. Right. And, the, and the reason is because of the liability aspect. So Campaign for Vermont is focused on trying to grow middle class in Vermont. Right. Um, and uh, one of the components of that is making sure that, um, you know, state government is is well run and that there's not fiscal risk to the state finances and therefore taxpayers. And the two big th- biggest things on the books, to be honest, from a liability perspective is Water quality, lake cleanup, because so far the EPA has allowed the state to continue to try to attempt to do their water quality measures. But at a certain point, the EPA could step in and do it themselves and then give us the bill. Right. And which, in which case we're obligated to pay it. And that could be a lot more than $25 million a year. We could be talking $100, $150, $200 million a year. So it's a giant financial liability for the state, um, and that's kind of why Campaign for Vermont got involved originally. Right. The other big liability, of course, is our pensions. Um, oh. and, and we've uh, talked about that a lot. That one, I uh, that one drives me crazy. Yeah, yeah. yep. Uh, but I th- I think they've sort of stopped talking about Lake Champlain and the threat of the EPA, but it's still out there. It's, yeah, it's, it's real. It's kind of fallen out of our public discourse uh, the last couple of years, and that's one of the things really that we're trying to do right now is to put it back into the public discussion. Say, yes, this issue is still there; has not gone away. We're spending all this money on it. You know, what are the results we're getting? Let's start demanding right. that we get some results for that amount of money that we're spending, and also make sure that we're, you know, doing the right thing for our state. Right, exactly. Well, maybe this this year will be the year. Who knows? Because, as you said, with the emerging technologies and and really interesting things, that the solutions are there. They just need to buckle down and do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't think farm. I think farmers want. They get the importance of clean water. 
um, to run their farms, to do the things that I don't think they want to see the runoff and the stuff that, uh, that we're looking to them to fix, but um, we could help them. Well, I mean, let's be let's be honest. Like uh, these are failing businesses in most cases. Um, they don't have capital, right. energy. They don't uh, time to deal with this issue, even if they want to. They're trying to keep a business afloat that is already struggling to make ends meet. That's heavily subsidized, and you know, um, and is still struggling to to be financially profitable. So, like these, you know, to point the finger and say like you got to solve this, and we're not giving them the resources to solve it is not really fair. Right. Oh, I agree with you for sure. They're hardworking folks, and they deserve our help. And they've really been hit hard with the flood. That's another whole. A lot of them. Yeah. 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 I'm just thinking flooding is not good for lakes either. So uh, is there any new reports about the impact of all the flooding on uh, uh on Lake Champlain and other tr- and other lakes here in Vermont do you know? I don't I've never I haven't seen anything. I know they're looking at it. Um yeah. so the the state um agencies responsible for that are are looking at it. Right. Um the to put a number on it, I think, you know, this is one of those things that we can do, um, well, some of the bank stabilization that we talked about, right. like planting uh, trees and shrubs and other uh, plants on riverbanks um, to create a buffer between agricultural land and, and waterways right. would help with some of that, right? right for you're sure. going to get less runoff. You're going to get less erosion of that bank. You're going to get, um, you know, you're less likely to get uh, that um, – you know, that soil that is rich in phosphorus and other minerals getting washed into the yeah. waterways. So there are things we can do to help avoid that. But, you know, to some degree, you're not going to be able to stop something right. like what happened this summer. Oh, my God. That yeah. was – I just – I've been talking – well, I've been interviewing people and the, the what's happened to them. It's just – it's staggering. It's yeah. horrible. Um, anyway, what I want to do if, with your permission, Ben, is to go through some of the key areas that um, that you've been working on and talk about – the problem and the solution, and the first one, of course, which is on everybody's mind, is economic development um, and uh, finding paying jobs and workforce development and all sorts of things. So why don't you jump right in and talk about how we can fix this mess? Oh, and housing. There's a there's, there's lots of things tied up. In sure. There. And actually, um, you know, I think housing actually is a workforce development issue. I agree. Um, you know, we have. Uh, one of the smallest vacancy rates in the country, um, meaning that like the fewest number of housing units available at any given time. Um, and that's a problem for workforce because that means that um, people who can't follow jobs. And um, this has been true for a little while now. Uh, it's, it's true before COVID and COVID sort of exacerbated it. Um, Vermont uh, for the last five or six years has not been in a position where we're struggling for more jobs. Um, we're in a position where we're struggling for more workers. Right. Um, and the the reason that uh, COVID exacerbated that is because uh, is because of the changes in the housing stock. Um, housing prices went up pretty significantly as a lot of people from neighboring states uh, like New York and Massachusetts and Connecticut <clears throat> uh, moved into Vermont and started buying up houses. Um, often sight unseen and also typically with cash. Um, so weren't taking out mortgages. They could walk in, make an offer wow. um, and could outbid people. Um, 
And so that – and that's created a problem uh, where it's pushed housing prices in general up and uh, supply down. And so, um, yeah, our, our biggest workforce challenge right now really is housing, finding people – finding places for working class people to live. Um, now, last year the legislature passed a, a fairly large housing bill, uh, which we weighed in on and talked about. There were some good things there, but – I never, unless they do Act 250, I don't see anything changing much. The bill, even though it was very big and covered a lot of things, it was more of a scattergun approach, mm-hmm. that there wasn't any continuity to it that you could feel that this was going to solve the problem. Yeah, and, um, you know, environmental groups typically have been very resistant to ch- changing Act 250. Right. Um, and, and really, I think what we've seen, um, and Seven Days, by the way, did some great reporting on this, really? uh, last yeah. year. And if you haven't seen that series, you should just, you should go check it out. Um, really, and, and what it showed, I think, is that, um, the combination of local zoning and Act 250 has really been leveraged in a way to gentrify a lot of communities, mm-hmm. um, to, to prevent new people from moving in, to uh, keep the price point intentionally high. So it's things like um, some towns would say you have you can't build a house um, on less than 10 acres, which pushes the price point up because you now have to buy 10 acres of land. It also means that you can only build in certain places because, right. you know, there's only oftentimes finding 10 acres of zoned land that you can actually build on. It's difficult and you have to go further and further out from the village center to do that. Um, same thing with Act 250, a lot of the wastewater uh, rules and the runoff rules and the way that those are written um, end up being exclusionary and, and also the appeals process also ends oh, up being, right. cause no, it's, it's, it's all the NIMBYs, right? Yep, right. Um, not in my backyard. I don't want that housing development right there. I don't want that duplex right there. I don't want all of these sorts of things. And because Act 250 gives such a broad range of things that you can appeal and ev- everyone has appeal rights, um, what ends up happening is uh, one of two things. Either the project uh, gets stalled because of all the appeals or the appeals generate so much additional construction cost burden um, that the, the project never happens. Right. Well, every, when I work for state government and would talk to construction folk, people in the construction business, they would say over and over they just want predictability. They want to know how much and how long. And they can't get it from mm-hmm. from Act 250, and so a lot of them would just walk away because, in order to be successful in their business, they've got to have a starting point and an ending point and a bottom line of how much it's going to cost, and they can't get that information. Yeah. And I don't see. I mean, you don't have to give away everything in Act 250 to change it, but there's got to be compromise somewhere. Yeah. No. I, there's definitely room to continue to protect our waterways, to protect right. um, our forests, and um, other natural assets and still make it a more predictable process um, and, uh, you know, remove some of those barriers. And one and one of the things that's pretty staggering, a lot of developers now are saying every new unit of housing they bring on, there's thirty dollars to $40,000 worth of cost um, just in the permitting and zoning right. aspect of it. And you think about that, like if we're a $300,000 $300, house, that's 10%. Right. 10% of the whole project total for a reasonable 
price point house, which we can't even build right now. So like that's a whole different right. different issue. But um, but think about that. Like a three hundred three hundred fifty thousand dollar house, ten percent of that the cost of building that house is just in the permitting and zoning. Incredible. You put down on a list that we're we're looking at uh, broadband. I. I must say, I honestly can't figure out why we haven't solved this problem. Mm-hmm. It probably has to do with how much it's going to cost the broadband people to, to set up. Uh, yeah, it's expensive. Yeah. It's I, expensive. I, we have to fix this. This is no joke. Well, you know, one of the concerns I have about however, and this is critically important in, in today's um, right. you know, worker landscape. So many people have the ability to work remotely. Um can bring great revenue into the state uh, from you know employers that are in that are regional, right. right? So again, looking at those folks that moved here during you know COVID, a lot of them brought jobs with them, uh, which is great for the state from a tax revenue perspective, and we want them to stay here. Um, but the the challenge is that um, they don't have, in many cases, they don't have solid internet connections, mm-hmm. um, and you know the the cost burden of doing that is why we haven't solved it. Honestly, it's not easy to do. It takes a lot of coordination and it's expensive. It ta- you know, the, the policy direction that the state has set is that um, we need to have fiber to every home um, and fiber optic cable uh, um, costs $10,000 a mile to lay. So it takes time. It takes money. We've used a lot of the um, federal dollars uh, to um, to do this, the problem is the federal dollars so far only get us about halfway. There was a new slug of money that came in over the summer that we're hoping probably gets us, you know, two thirds of the way, but it's still expensive. Right. Um, and that's one of the things that we really looked at from a policy perspective. Um, is you know, there's a real danger that we run out of those federal funds and that we don't have resources to get to that last mile. And yeah. even if we do have resources to get to the last mile, you think about the people that, you know, have a half mile long driveway. And so it's going to cost what, $5 million right. to run a line up their driveway. Like that's, right. that's, you know, it, it's, it's expensive. Yeah. I, I didn't realize that when we were looking for land in Maine uh, two summers ago, um, you have to pay for the line telephone line and and Wi-Fi from Mm -hmm. the street to your home. And when I heard the price, I went, well, forget that. Yeah, so even if you live on the roadway. Even if you can get it to run past on the road and you have to run a half mile up your driveway and it's going to cost you five grand, like. Really? Yeah. (laughs) It's so like, you know, yes, uh, you know, fiber is the gold standard right now. It is the Ferrari in the world of uh, Internet um, connectivity, but not everyone's going to be able to afford the right, Ferrari. Right. And so we've got to, we've got to figure out other ways to make this affordable and accessible for people yeah. where we're not running a line two miles out a dirt road to get to one person because they're not going to pay for that. And should taxpayers be paying for that? Right. Good, good questions. Yeah. Okay. Let's move on to the next area, which is sustainable spending. There's two words that should go together a lot. <laughs> yeah, and this is sort of a we, – we touched on this uh, a little bit right. um, where, you know, th- there's a fiscal responsibility component to this. This is an issue that uh, Campaign for Vermont has been very involved in because of the financial risk to right. um, uh, to middle-class taxpayers. Uh, you know, we cannot continue to see 13% tax increases like we did last year. That is unsustainable. Right. The economy is growing – 
um, much slower than that. And uh, people's uh, incomes are growing less, much slower than that. So, like, we can't continue to spend at that level. And I think the um, the legislature is starting to hear that message. We start to as we start talking about like what are they going to be looking at this year? Right. The money committee's got a very clear picture from the state economists that this is not fiscally responsible. Right. Heading the wrong way. Heading heading the wrong way, and tax revenues yeah. are actually going to start shrinking. Have they talked of the economists? Have they talked about our pension situation? I know they thought that last year's bill would solve the problem, but. I don't think so. It was two years ago. Two, oh, oh, two years. That's right. Mm-hmm. It's 2022. Yeah. So yeah. that – It only got uh, us halfway there. Yeah. And there's still more to be done. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, they're refusing um, to change things for new hires, which to me is and uh, is the way to go because we didn't promise them anything. Here's the job. Here's the benefits you get. And if you focus on the new hires and um, um, what they get for pensions um, – might help out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, looking at uh, redefining benefits for new hires right. and, and keeping the promises we made to existing employees. Exactly, and I, I'm, they're going to have to do it eventually because they didn't fix it. They, yeah, they only they, fixed half of it. Yeah, exactly. What, which was a good effort, I must say, though, because it was very. Uh, it took a decade just to yeah, get there, and yeah. both both parties uh, supported the effort. Then I thought it was, and they did listen to a lot of testimony, but it, as you said, it only went so far. Yeah. So the the problem's still out there. Um, let's skip over to education because speaking of money, um, student waiting. I don't know if people know that's out there. Well, oh, uh, yeah. if they don't know that it's out there, they're going to find out really quick uh, yeah. as their school budgets start coming out. Um, and uh, what this is going to this is going to manifest in a couple different ways. So student waiting. Um, is a policy that has been under discussion in Montpelier for a number of years and, and passed two years ago. Right. Um, same year they did the pension, uh, partial pension fix. And uh, basically what that will do is um, it realigns how we do the, um, the student spending formula. So not to get too far into it, but there's a formula that determines what tax rates are. And it's based on your cost per student uh, in a school. So two schools that are spending the same amount per student um, uh, have the same tax rate. So that came out of the Brigham decision in the uh, late 90s. And the what weighting does is it kind of plays with that formula a little bit. So instead of it just being like, here's your, here's your spending and the number of students you have, it plays with that those numbers a little bit um, to compensate for you know, students who might cost more, like students who, who English is a second language or right. students who um, are on free or reduced lunch or students who live in rural districts um, that might cost a little bit more to educate. So it adjusts that formula a little bit to give you basically a little bit more money um, per student. The important thing to understand is that uh, your local tax rate is based on your cost per student. And what weighting does is it kind of plays with that cost per student number to offset, you know, students in your school that may have um, – that may cost more to educate. So, you know, like kids that have English as a second language um, that are on free or reduced lunch, low-income students, uh, rural students, uh, special needs students, those types of things right. that, you know, factors that might cost more to educate them. So the weighting factors play with that cost per student numbers um, in order to basically give you more money 
to your school without impacting your tax rate is basically what it does. Gives you more money from other people. From right? the state. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. From other people. Yes, right. From other taxpayers yes, around exactly. the state. So this, um, there's an effort the last couple of years based on a UVM study that to, to try to rebalance how those weighting factors were working because some of them felt like um, they weren't compensating enough. Um, uh, one of the particular ones was the second language learners um, didn't feel like the weighting factors were compensating enough right. for that. Um, and the same thing for rural uh, um, students didn't feel like the, there was enough compensation for those rural students. Um, and uh, and so there was an effort to reweight all of the all of those factors. And what that resulted in is most school districts are winners. Uh, about two thirds are winners. They're going to meaning that they're going to get more mm-hmm. money for the same tax rate. And then there's one third that are losers in right. that in that calculation because the net net the money comes out somewhere. Right. So the losers are losing twice as much as the winners are gaining. Wonderful. So what that means though is that um, when it comes to your school budgets um, and what you're going to be paying. Some schools are going to have to make some really tough decisions because without changing spending, their tax rates are going to go up, right? Um, other districts are going to be able to spend more and their tax rates may still go down. So depending on which which situation you're in, huh. um, you're likely going to see – you will see over the next few years because it's going to be phased in. It's not happening all in one year. So it's going to happen over the next four or five years. Right. Um You'll see your tax rates go up or down with, with, without any changes to spending. So, um, depending on what district you're in, so you will see start seeing that. Ultimately, um, you know, this is a good thing. It's going to get the resources to where they need to go. The first couple of years, though, are going to be a little painful, and um, so people are going to have to understand that. And in districts that are the losers, it's going to be really painful because you're going to have to make tough decisions about. You know, do we build a new gymnasium? Do we pause on hiring teachers? And, you know, ultimately, um, you know, we talk about uh, the education system as a whole. Um, You know, the distribution of resources is important, and that's what student waiting does. The other important factors are quality, right? We we all want to make sure that our kids are, are getting a good quality education. There's some real concerns in Vermont. And in, uh, about how good the quality actually is, we've been told for years that we have a high quality education system. Um, and but there's some real evidence now that suggests uh, that's not the case. Right. Um, and uh, and the same thing with cost. It's like okay, well, if we were getting a good quality product, we don't necessarily mind paying the highest tax rates in the country if we're getting the best education in the country, right? But the reality is we're sliding more and more towards the middle of the pack for education quality, and we're still number one in spending and going up at a alarming rate. So a lot of that has to do with the number of adults in the building. Um, we have, in general, too many administrators right. um, and, and primarily look at administrators as the problem. Um, being top-heavy on administration. Being top-heavy on administration. Uh, we have 62 superintendents in Vermont, which is the equivalent of the city of Chicago having 400. <laughs> could put that in perspective. Right. Um, and then, uh, and, and in some cases, too many teachers too. Um, that's not going to be true everywhere. Um, and I'm not advocating we should go out and start cutting teachers, but we should be looking strategically at how many teachers do we actually need because we have the smallest student ratio, student teacher ratio in right. the country. 
And the most expensive, right? Uh, are we still the most expensive per student? Most expensive per student, right. yeah. And you know what? People... And you can go to college cheaper than you can send a kid to high school in Vermont. Right. Well, that's a sad statement. Um, what people don't think about is the United States, when you compare to the world education, we're sort of in the middle, I think, or at least we mm-hmm. used to be. So if you're the top of the middle – you're not really top because, you know, I'm trying to say it, it's like mm-hmm. nobody realizes where the United States is. We have fallen so behind in education as a nation. Yeah. So if we're the best in the nation, we're not the best in the world because we're in the middle of the pack. And there's a really wide distribution in the U.S. because education is handled at the state level, which is a little unusual. Um, most of the time, internationally, education is a is run by the national government. Ah. Um, it's not universally true, but that's true in most like European countries. Um, and, you know, because of that, you don't have that uh, a wide distribution in the quality. In, in in the U.S., we have a wide distribution in the right. quality. If we had – if you look at like a state like Massachusetts, which is consistently top three, um, and that really probably serves as a model for Vermont because there's a whole bunch of Massachusetts. It's pretty rural. Right, right. <laughs> right? It's not just Boston, although I like to think about that – think about it that way. Um, you know, Massachusetts, uh, spends less than we do and has, is consistently top three best in the, um, in the country. And if you put it out in the world, compare it to other countries, just Massachusetts on its own, it would be generally also the top 10 in the world. Wow. So like, it's not that there's, there is good education happening in the United States. It's just not everywhere. And the problem is in Vermont, it seems like we're slipping further and further away from that top five, top 10. And that doesn't help with attracting people to come here because most people will look at the school systems to come with their kids and raise their kids here and and help the workforce. So Mm -hmm. it's all tied together. Right. It is. Yeah. Right. So let's quickly, we're sort of running out of time already. Um, I want to get to the the next uh, government discussion, but could you talk about school choice? Because that was under fire this last year and may still be this coming year. It will be. And and this is sort of uh, honestly a symptom of the stress that the public education systems under, I think, is really what it is. Um, You know, the public schools for – for uh, over a decade now, I've been trying to claw back uh, the these dollars that are going to independent schools and um, and chip away at that. And they finally have a, a foothold that resonates with people um, because of the recent Supreme Court cases. There's like actually a tagline that they can they can use now to try to get a foothold. The reality is that um, you know these schools are providing really high quality education. Um, most cases better than the public schools are providing. Um, again, there's a range. So right. like some of the really good public schools are probably better than some of these independent schools. Right. And, and But on the balance, independent schools tend to be um, produce better results um, and uh, at a lower price point. So we're talking about cost. Uh, what a know, deal. What a deal. Um, you know, the average cost per student in Vermont is pushing past $21,000. That's wow. an average. Um, and, uh, the default tuition rates, uh, for independent schools is 17,500. So like, um, you can spend more, a district can choose to spend more, but they actually have to vote to, to spend more per student than the default, than the statewide default. Otherwise, 
you know, you're pegged at that 17.5. Well, I know I have a, uh, had a private school on our road. They've just since moved. It's a long story. They moved back to Websterville, but that was a great school. Mm-hmm. I know a couple of the kids that went there. Yeah. They, they, and they more focused on the reading, writing, arithmetic that we, that we focused on as, as, uh, well, at least I did as kids. Uh, without all that, they just stuck to the basics, which seems to hold kids in good stead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the bigger thing with um, school choice too is that um, you know th- this concept that uh, you should attend a school based on your zip code, right? Um, you know that that was born out of necessity, regardless of whether it's independent or public school. So, yeah. um, and that that's sort of an old fashioned. Yes. Sense, I think. You need to go to a school that will help you. You need to go to a school that's the right fit regardless <laughs> right. of whether it's the one that you happen to exactly. live we're, in. Live in. We should someday look back and see how all that merging really worked in reality. Yeah. I mean, we, now is about the time we should know. Yeah. Um, five to ten years later is kind of what, what we were uh, looking at for Act 46 and the yep. consolidation. I mean, the short answer is I haven't seen any evidence yet nope. that it's actually saved money. That's a short answer, but uh, yeah, we should look. Someone should look at that. Yeah, take a look and get some talk to people and see what their experiences has been because that was very painful going through that. Yeah, it was very painful. Mm -hmm. So I hope it has had some benefit. But anyway, the the final area that we were taking a look at is good old government. Um, Where do our taxpayer money go? And um, the one thing to bring the. show to a little bit of a close is our involvement and your involvement in ethics. We had Christina Siverett on, who's the head of the um, ethics uh, commission department. Commission. Uh, commission. She's the executive director. Uh, and at one point, we, Vermont ranked 43rd, 43rd out of 50 in government integrity laws. That says a lot. Yeah. It hasn't changed that much. Really? Even what all we did last year? Uh, it, it has changed a little bit. Um, you know, and and we've done a lot of work. Uh, I was involved in getting the ethics right. commission set up, exactly. um, getting that law passed in uh, 2017, um, and and then also strengthening uh, the state code of ethics and making sure that um, there's a clear, um, easy to follow set of rules for public officials. What we're looking at now is expanding that to municipalities right. um, and oversight to municipalities. Um, so that's hopefully going to be a conversation uh, in the upcoming legislative session. I believe there's uh, talk of a bill being introduced in the House uh, to do that, um, as well as hopefully give the Ethics Commission a little more oversight authority. Um, you know, now that this framework is in place, people have seen it. They've seen how the uh, the code of ethics plays out in state government. Um, you know, and this and, and municipalities are important. Um, you know, we, we did, didn't go for municipalities out of the gate because they're the complexity there. Right. Um, but now that the commission is up and running and has some experience under their belt, I think it's about time um, to do this. And, and this is where we see most of the issues uh, in other states is more likely at the municipal level. I think like Chris Christie and the whole bridge scenario yeah, right. in New Jersey, like that's, exactly. you know, you're going to see more issues at the municipal level of um, nepotism and right. uh, things like that than well, you will at the state government level. Because you live uh, in Burlington, but I live in Berlin and it's pretty small. And there's usually I, I, this sort of tongue in cheek, but there's like 10 people in town that are involved in everything mm-hmm. because they're the ones interested and, and get and participate 
Um, it's a little more than 10, but, um, and so it's hard to avoid not to have conflicts. It just is part of small town Vermont, I would think. Well, and there's this whole cottage industry now of uh, people skimming off the top yeah, uh, exactly. in municipal governments. And sometimes it takes years uh, to find out, to right? find out, like decades even. Um, there was one one woman that got it just went to trial. They caught her back in uh, 2018, 2019, something like that. But she'd been uh, um, embezzling from a municipality, from a fire department huh. um, for two and a half decades. Wow. Uh, and um, and no one would have caught her except that someone happened to uh, log into a bank account and realized that um, they had to call the bank because they got locked out. And yeah. when they got access again, they realized there's all these other accounts that wow. they didn't know about. Um, so it's like, you know, pretty crazy. And, yeah. and ethics is not necessarily going to solve that, but um, but it starts – you know, moving the needle. Right. Well, I think it's a good thing because you, we, we are all, we trust as, as Vermonters, mm-hmm. certainly in a small town like mine, you just don't even think about stuff like that because you know everybody, but you never know. But and, do you really? But do you really? There yeah. you go. Anyway, oh, we have a caller, uh, Robert from Bethel. Robert, you're on the air. Go ahead. Hey, Pat and Ben, this is an incredible conversation, and I think, Ben, you should run for governor. <laughs> I'd vote for him. <laughs> and, and then, I'm, I'm, Pat, you should run for lieutenant governor, oh, vice versa. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. It's It's been very informative. And uh, it's funny, I, I uh, got so frustrated with my Internet connection and phone lines, I just called the CEO of Consolidated, uh. Bob Udell, and he was wonderful. But that's not my reason for calling. The gigantic elephant in the room is, uh, as Ben was saying, is the school taxes, the property taxes. And I don't think 99% of the Vermonters don't realize that 85% of your ta- property taxes go directly to the uh, uh, supervisory unions, mm-hmm. 85%. I used to live in Weston, Massachusetts, the 64th wealthiest town in, in the country, and people would do anything to get into the town for a good education for their children, and our taxes were probably about 34% property wow. taxes. And I look at this in Vermont. It's becoming uh, a prison of property taxes, uh, Act 250. Right. It's just... It's getting to the point where I, I, I just cannot afford to pay. I said to my friend who's delivering wood today, I said, listen, when you go to fill up your diesel truck and you oh. go pay, you want $100 worth of diesel, and the uh, cashier says, sir, we can only give you 15% because 85% goes to the state. It, it's, the, it's, a, it's a metaphor, huh. but it's like uh, we're paying 85%. For and the, the highest per student rate in the country, the education is a disaster. Right. And Ben's right. The administr uh, there's I think right now there's 54 supervisor unions in the state of Vermont. That needs to be cut to like four, or maybe at least in half. Right. Because mm-hmm. right. Ben made a great point. The administration, uh, the administrators, there's way too many of them. If I look at the budget in Bethel, Vermont, or the White River uh, Supervisory Union, it's over the top. Right. Mm-hmm. And the schools, you know, they control Rochester. There's probably, you know, what, 
200 students in there? Yeah. Robert, yeah. let me uh, interject here a little bit because I've, I've got to move it around. But that was an awesome call. Thank you very much. You yeah, want to respond, Ben? Um, no, I, I think, he hit, <laughs> I think right. he hit all the right notes. So this is it's. I, I think that, again, it's a value proposition thing, right? It, it's it, if if we were getting the best education in the country, right? We could justify spending the highest tax rate and the lowest right. uh, and the lowest um, student teacher ratio. But but that's not the reality. Yeah. So like either. We need to figure out how to spend less or get more for what we're spending. I think that's called ROI, right? Return on investment because yeah. we are certainly spending the money. We're just not getting it back. Anyway, thank you, Robert. That was a wonderful call. So um, those are the key issues that you should be looking at. What do you think is going to happen this year, Ben? What do you? What's on the horizon? Uh, look All into of my, the above. Uh, look at my crystal ball. <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, a couple things uh, since we're on um, – you know, since we're on kind of the spending side of the equation, I think we are going to see, and we're already starting to see, um, the money committees get the message that uh, we can't keep Good. spending at this rate. You know, 13% increase in spending last year, um, double-digit increases in spending most of the years under COVID. Uh, a lot of that was federal dollars, but those federal dollars are going away, and guess who's going to get left holding the bag? So, right. um, you know, I think we're going to see that. Uh, I think we're going to see uh, some election changes. There was a bill last year that didn't quite make it across the finish line um, that started moving us towards uh, um, that started moving us towards uh, ranked choice voting, and also uh. changed some of the rules for independent candidates, uh, which I, you know, we don't have time to talk about. But I was not a huge fan of some of those changes. Um, I think we're going to see, see a paid family leave bill come back. Um, whether or not it's going to make it through the Senate is a different question um, because they just instituted a new payroll tax last year for child care. Uh, I don't know how much appetite they have in an election year to go back and create a whole new tax ah, category. That may save us. It's an election year. Uh, yeah. So, so, But I think the proposal is going to be on the table. Whether or not it gets through the Senate I think is going to be the question. Um, and then the last one is the renewable energy standard, uh, which is looking at the energy mix um, uh, that's powering our grid. Right. Um, and uh, we did uh, a version of this back in uh, 2016, 2015 or 2016, something like that, um, to try to get more renewables into our power uh, grid. And um, so there's a new bill that's going to try to get it to 100% renewable um, in the next several years. That's probably going to mean increased uh, taxes or increased taxes, increased um, uh, utility rates in order to pay for that because a lot of that's going to be uh, new infrastructure. We're going to be talking about electric cars. I don't think we're going to make our goals, um, but that's just me. Yeah. I know. So anyway, Ben, thank you very much. You want to check out Ben Kinsley, Campaign for Vermont, Imperium Advisors, and Vote for Vermont. Yeah. We'll be together all those places. again. <laughs> thanks, Pat. Anyway, thank you all for listening in. Thanks for the call, Robert. Um, stay tuned because Danny Cohen, Vermont's busiest musician, that's what his tagline is, I think, will be here, a member of uh, Starlight Rhythm, uh, Rhythm Boys and Radio Rangers and a host of other. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. This is Pat McDonald, your host for Vermont Viewpoint on WDEB. Mm-hmm.